0: Well, good evening. Uh, It's a pleasure to be back and uh, to be opening up the book of Titus with you this evening. So please uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Titus. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, that's on page 1370. Uh, It's a short book, so we'll touch on the verses in just a moment. Uh, We started the book of Titus last summer when I was an intern here and then dropped it for quite some time. So uh, we're just going to come back and pick up these last few verses and uh, look into what God's Word has in store for us. Uh, As a reminder, the book of Titus was written near the end of Paul's life. He's writing to uh, his protege, uh, one of his proteges, Titus, on the island of Crete, just giving him some instructions on building up this very young church here on the island. Uh, So far, he's given instructions on Uh, The office of elder, the discipline of false teachers, what elders should be doing as regards false teachers, guidelines for living, uh, and the reasons for all of this, that Christ himself came and cleansed us of all unrighteousness. And so he now turns his attention to the result of this salvation, what we ought to be doing. Uh, And so our passage this evening is going to be verses 15, uh, chapter 2, verse 15, on through chapter 3, verse 8, but I'm going to begin reading at verse 9 of chapter 2. So listen and hear the word of the Lord. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, Let no one despise you. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another." but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that, having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. That's where we'll end the reading of God's word, and we thank him for this gift. Uh, This summer has flown by, but I think it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, our oldest daughter had kindergarten roundup. Some of the college students have had new student orientation. Uh, People going into the military have been engaging in boot camp, if you've ha- ever had a new job, you've had some on-the-job training. right? This is, this is common for us. When we, when we enter some new territory, we often need some kind of training. Uh, you, you, you generally have the skills that you need to start the work, but you're going to need something to refine them and give them direction. Uh, and if you're like me when I was a salesman, maybe you just never pick up those, <laughs> those skills. Uh, but uh, right, even even at McDonald's, right, onboarding is a part of the process. You need to take what you know and use it in service of the job you're about to be taking on. Uh, what's the purpose? How do you represent who you're working for? You get the mission, and that's your mission too. And so, in this text in Titus, Paul is giving us the mission, the task, the representation. How do we use our skills in our new calling as Christians? Uh, To what end do we live the Christian life? How and why is it different from the alternative? And the answer uh, is, I hope, our main point this evening. God has cleansed all of your being, so let it all be governed rightly in service of your Savior, Jesus Christ. God has cleansed all of your being, so let it all be governed rightly in service of your Savior. And so the very first thing we see this evening, uh, in verses two and three, Paul paints a a very vivid picture of what life is like as somebody who's not a Christian, right? Uh, Remind them to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men, right? These are the things they're not doing, for we ourselves were also once foolish Disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hating and hating, hateful and hating one another, or yours may say, hated and hating one another. What a wicked, wicked bunch! But at the same time, these reminders that are being given that Paul says you need to teach these to the Cretans, this isn't actually being given to. Just the wicked bunch, right? Just the false teachers, just the sinners on the island. This is the letter written to Titus to teach the church. So we need to recall, right, that even uh, we are Cretans, right? These are the Christians, and we live, we lived in a difficult life, and we need these reminders. In fact, Paul is trying to, to counteract the teachings of the false teachers. If you turn back a page with me to Titus 1, Uh, 10 through 16, he's talking about all of these, these wicked people who are deceiving, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. We skip down to verse 15. He says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works, they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work, right? This is not the Christian life. But if I may be so bold as to say, it is the prerequisite for the Christian life, isn't it? None of us gets in God's family without having been here first, and it's important that as we look back, right? Paul is not just saying this is what sinners are like. He said for we, right, Paul and Titus, the leaders in the young Christian church, we were once like this. If we read these sort of qualifications for non-believers, if you will, we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another and so we see right it starts in the head they are foolish they are without the wisdom of God to discern things in the world but then on top of that they are uh, deceived or your translation may say led astray and this word is is like putting a leash around an animal that has a beast of burden no intelligence for themselves and they can just be walked away and that's what Paul is saying we were like as non-believers But not even that, we were led away serving various lusts and pleasures or passions and pleasures. So this doesn't just stop at the head, right? We were disobedient. It flows into the hands, right? The things that we're doing are not what God has called us to do. And even more than that, we are enslaved to various passions and pleasures. This goes all the way, it's not a skin deep problem, right? It's a heart problem. Every part of us, head, hands, and heart is affected. And then he goes on and doubles down on this, right? That we're living in malice and envy, hating and hating one another. That we're not to speak evil out of our mouth, but to be gentle. He says that we're not to be quarrelsome, but to show all humility to all people. So we're to use our hands in a way that serves others. And then that we not live in envy, malice, and hatred. So he's Really confirming to us that the life of somebody who does not serve and submit to God is a life that you would expect. It's head, heart, and hands, all tainted by sin, serving, really enslaved to something else. Uh, It reminds me of uh, the Disney uh, Pinocchio. This is back when Disney actually cared about telling moral stories. Uh, Pinocchio finds himself on, wouldn't you know it, Pleasure Island, right? and he starts divulging in all of these things, right, taking in this and that, first a little bit of candy, then a bottle with three X's on it, and then he's, he's on a, a big train down the wrong path, right, but what happens to him, right, and all the other boys who just engage in various passions and pleasures, right, he starts sprouting animal ears, right? he becomes a beast of burden and all the other boys who continue on this path then get hitched to the wagon and it's their job to pull the wagon around being whipped by the cartmaster in order to go bring other boys in that's exactly what paul is painting a picture of right if you're going to be enslaved by lusts and pleasures you better believe it's going to wind up in slavery and you don't have another option there is no other way out but when god appears We have to know that that path starts somewhere, right? It starts in our head, and it moves to our heart, and it moves to our hands, right? The way that we think changes the way that we feel, changes the way that we act, and we we must not look at the world as a neutral place where anything and everything can just happen, and we'll figure out what happens when we get there, but we as Christians have to be diligent and deliberate about what we look at, what we desire, and what we do for that, uh, our our car uh, is my, the little white car that I drive has been falling apart lately. Literally lost a piece in the road the other day, and um, right, it's easy then to start driving around and looking at how much people in Bloomington in particular spend on their cars. There's, there are some nice cars out there, right? But I I have to train myself to to stop looking aside me, look forward. Because I know that as soon as my head gets engaged in looking around at those things, right, then my heart is going to follow and I just want uh, a different or better car or whatever it may be. And then who knows what I might do to get that, right? What, what other work am I going to try to pick up at the sacrifice of my family or something like that, right? So I have to be diligent, And structured myself, and that that may not be a car for you, right? That may be uh, how we spend our time, listening and engaging and studying up on hobbies. Uh, It might be something that feels very neutral like that, right? It might be uh, a job promotion, right? What could I do to just get that little bit more security, because we've made an idol out of something else? Or it may be what it is for much of the world, and and the church is not exempt in that. It may be right. The viewing of pornography opens in the eyes and moves to the heart and then moves outward oftentimes. This is a dangerous, dangerous path, and we as Christians must remember that all of our being was governed by wickedness. Don't start the process of being enslaved again as a Christian. That's why Colossians 3, 1 through 2, and you'll find this printed in your outline, says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. We know that this path starts in the head and moves through the heart and into the hands and out. And that's the real problem, right? That when we try to get ourselves out of this sinful disposition and into another one, it's our head and our heart and our hands that are messed up. And there's no chance of us getting ourselves out of that so the second thing we see in this passage this evening uh, is that God alone brought all of your being into his family. God alone brought all of your being into his family. And we see this in verses 4 through 7 of chapter 3. Because of this problem of the head and the heart and the hands, we need the solution we mentioned earlier, right? But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared... This is the same, this word appearing uh, only occurs one other time in this book and it's back what we read earlier uh, in uh, verse 13 of chapter 2, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So Paul is calling our mind back to the kindness and the love of God our Savior appearing happened in the flesh. Right? It happened in Jesus Christ himself. The word is, is it epiphanied. Right? It, it was hiding all along not hiding very well, if you had your Old Testament and were looking through it as we talked this morning, right? But but hiding, and then it came on the scene and was revealed so openly. The goodness, or the kindness, and the love toward man. That word, literally, philanthropy, right? Not not something we deserved, and he makes that point very clear in the next verse. It, It appeared not by works of righteousness, which we have done, not because of something we've, we've somehow conjured up this appearing of Christ. It's not even because there's, there's a legal need for us to be justified and God is just uh, reacting to a legal transaction that had to happen as a matter of course. No, right? Paul is highlighting this is the kindness and the philanthropy of God toward man. It appeared not because of our works, but because of his love for mankind and his mercy. If this were just some legal reset we just become neutral parties we would go from no I hate God to maybe but God has done so much more than that God has taken us from no God I hate you I would rather be enslaved by various lusts and passions to make us heirs according to the hope of eternal life but how does he do this And Paul then tells us in the next verse, right, according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. This is the faithful saying that he later goes on in verse 8 to say, uh, most commentators uh, agree that this is some sort of uh, baptism creed or vow or or hymn or formula or something that uh, every time a baptism would occur in the early church, they would recite something along these lines uh, and we, we aren't sure if it's verses 4 through 7 or 5 through 6, uh, 5 through 7, uh, or what it may be, but we know, right, this link here through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, right? There's this image that we are cleansed of everything else that is in us, right? That we are, we are taken from this place of filth to this place of cleanliness. It's, it's sort of a, a, a washroom word is, is the best we can figure out. Uh, otherwise. And this isn't teaching then, right, baptismal regeneration, that as soon as somebody has water poured on them that they are saved. Uh, That's not the point here. The point is this whole phrase should be taken together, the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is the one doing it. We have to remember that baptism is an external sign of an internal significance done by God. It's not some ritual that sort of magically does something, but it's a sign, a a signification, And what happens in this is a beautiful thing. We take that that unholy, selfish trinity of head, heart, and hands that's messed up, and it gets reworked by the Holy Trinity. When, When the goodness, the kindness, and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So all of God is engaged in cleansing all of you. And it's making us capable of good works because we, we become heirs with Christ. Our identity is now the identity of God. I was reading a sermon by James Montgomery Boyce a while back, and he was talking about baptism. And he said the only other uh, place in, in secular Greek literature that we find the word for, for baptize uh, is, and you, are you ready? <laughs> it's in a recipe for Pickles. You take the cucumber and you wash the cucumber and then you prepare the brine and you baptize the cucumber into the brine. That the longer it sits there, the more and more it conforms to the the image, the identity of the solution that it's sitting in. That's the only other place we find this word in secular literature uh, outside of the Bible. And, And this is the word that God has chosen to communicate to us what our identity with Christ is like, right? This is an identity. It's a, it's a personal everything-you-are word. We're being spiritually pickled by the Holy Spirit, right? We, at justification, having been justified by his grace, right? we have been cleansed, we have been washed, we have been renewed, we have been regenerated, right? And we have, yes, all the Holy Spirit we will ever need, At the moment, we become a Christian, but this lifelong process of being in the spiritual brine of the word and having the Holy Spirit inhabit us is transforming us to something new, and that's what's happening as Paul references this this baptism creed, this baptism vow. Remember that you were once something else, but because you've been baptized into the Holy Spirit, every part of you head, heart, hands, is being transformed because you're in the Spirit now. And we have to trust the gift of the Holy Spirit and inspect our actions, right? Just like you would sample a recipe as it's coming along, check and make sure that the pickles are sour enough, right? We need to check our lives against the Word of God, right? And compare and see, am I doing what's right? Is this recipe done yet? And of course, the answer is no, it's never going to be done this side of heaven. But what does it need? How do, I, how do I tweak it? How do I flavor it rightly so that I can be salt to the world? We have to know Christ in the word in order to do that. We have to become familiar with our family, our family history found in the Bible, and especially the works of our firstborn brother, Christ. Your identity is in Christ your identity matches that of Christ you're an heir with him whatever Christ inherits you inherit this is the hope of eternal life we are heirs according to the hope of eternal life and the expectation then is that whatever Christ does we too do verse 7 says in order that having been justified by his grace we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life Well, Christ's perfect obedience does not then tolerate our willful disobedience, and that's why Paul writes about the need to obey and submit properly. So our third point this evening is that you need to submit all your being to being governed by God. We said that all of your being was governed by wickedness, and now we need to submit all our being to being governed by God. We see this in verse eight. Uh, Paul affirms this is a faithful saying, this creed that he's recited. And these things I want you to affirm constantly: that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. All of this is to be a constant reminder to those who have believed. And that tense we don't we don't have an equivalent in English. It, it should should read those who have believed and are continuing to believe, It's a belief that happened in the past that still has impact today. So it's not that, well, at one point you said this, and so you kind of have to keep up the charade, right? It's your belief happened at a time in the past, and if you are going to keep on believing, this is what it looks like, right? That you should be careful to maintain or diligent to or devote yourself to good works. These things are good and profitable to men. And what is it that that Titus is teaching? Well, certainly not the works of the false teachers, as Paul goes on to explain, and we'll touch on that next time we're in Titus. But back to uh, chapter 2, verse 15, this sort of bridge between uh, the chapters. Paul commands Titus, speak these things, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Going on, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. And there, that to be subject could also read right, submit themselves. To be subject kind of sounds like a, a very passive thing—to just sit there and, and let everything wash over you. But to submit yourself is a more a more active and, and more accurate uh, translation. It's something that we have to be properly engaged in. Uh, we, like many of you, were without power in the last couple of days. And I used to love going camping as a teenager. Right? You go out and for seven, eight, nine, ten days, and the only electricity you have is the battery and your headlamp and your walkie talkie. And that was fun. And being two days without power and without AC was not fun the last two days. Right, but the difference is one of those I submitted myself to, and one of those I let happen to me. And the one. The one that I submit myself to is a lot more fun, right? But that's, that's what Paul is trying to say. We look at the world around us and we see the rulers and authorities that are above us and we feel like it is just not an enjoyable thing to be going forward in, right? What a burden, what, a, what an authority structure, what a heavy thing to have to look at those people above us looking down on us. But, but actually, Paul says to Titus, remind them to submit themselves to rulers and authorities, And when we do that, it becomes a pleasant thing. It becomes something that we are choosing to do, and we're enjoying that, rather than seeing it as a great burden to carry. Remind them to obey, to be ready for every good work. Interestingly, Paul does not say to obey and to be ready for every good work and to to submit yourself to only the authorities that you like, or only the legitimate ones, or only the proper ones, or only the ones that don't tell you to do whatever, but he says, remind them to submit themselves to rulers and authorities, full stop. And of course, we know from other uh, witness in the scripture that when we are uh, required by the authorities to disobey God's command, that is a no-no for us. Right? We, we obey our king above uh, any earthly principality. But his point here, right, Paul is living in a world where the Caesar claims that he has uh, the element of the divine and should be worshiped. that that Christians are being thrown to the lions for entertainment. So we shouldn't think that we're exempted from the command here to submit ourselves to rulers and authorities. Uh, But we actually need to be proper citizens of earthly kingdoms as well. And uh, many commentators link the fact uh, that he says this here in, in verse 15. He commands Titus, "...speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority." And the church carries authority too, right? Family heads carry authority. Uh, all three of the prongs that, that Paul has been ex- explaining to Titus throughout this, the the church and its authorities, the family and its authorities, and the state and its authorities, all are to be submitted to willfully and happily. And Titus is to encourage that because once Titus encourages people not to submit themselves to the state, what? What are they going to submit to the church for? What are they going to submit to their fathers for? Right? But God has put in place authority structures for us to submit to them. Because as Paul says in Romans 13, 1 and 2, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And that's not to say that that like God's word, which we read, the authorities are not a reflection of God's character, but they are a reflection of God's authority and orderliness and the way that we are to practice submitting in the earth so that we submit in the life to come. The purpose is not to undermine the authority of the state so that he might also not undermine the authority of church leaders and fathers, but to produce good citizens on earth and in the heaven for the heavenly kingdom, right? So what does this look like? How do we use our head, our heart, and our hands in submission, right? To willfully submit ourselves, right? Well, instead of grumbling and being quarrelsome, right, we use our heads to find solutions. We, we use our hearts to embrace uh, those who are in need of compassion, we use our hands to, to work this out in service in those around us and that works great not only in our society and in our families but in the church as well. There's so many committees to be on and to put our heads into so that we can serve one another with our hearts and our hands and of course uh, the outreach. Right? We have many opportunities even just a block or two down the road from us and we need to be engaged in this because this is what submitting all of our being looks like so that those who have believed and our believing in God should devote themselves to good works. And this is counter to the rugged individualism of today, but we have to submit ourselves. Well, finally, what does a good citizen of earth or heaven look like? Well, it looks like this, point four this evening. Serve the Lord with all of your being. Serve the Lord with all of your being. In verse 7, we read that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We live in this life and in the next life as heirs of eternal life with Christ, who being the first fruit sown into the ground has resurrected, is raised who has that eternal life, and we share in that inheritance with him. And certainly being an heir with Christ means maintaining a righteous internal character and thought life, but it's also lived out in order that, as verse eight says, we might be good and profitable to men. If you recall what we read in chapter one, verse 16, those false teachers profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Uh, The word there is just useless, empty. But we need to be fit for good works, devoted to them so that they might be profitable to others. And certainly there are different seasons of life. There are times where the church is serving you because you've spent so long serving others and you need to be willing to accept that God has provided the hand of the church to serve you because that's what we're called to do, not just you we also need to remember right, that young believers likewise need our heart and our hands going out to them as well. This is a time uh, when when somebody has just begun to believe and to know the Lord that their head needs to be shaped in order that their heart and hands can be shaped, right? And we are the heart and hands of God that we might train up others in righteousness. Uh, and if we're not doing this, if we're just focused on our heart and our hands, we're not being a disciple. If we're just focused on our head and our hands, then we're not really worshiping. And if we're just focused on our head and our heart, then we're useless. We're just like the false teachers. We're not profitable. We're empty. We read in chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, similar words to what Titus is supposed to encourage here. Paul says, Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. And this is where we read a similar thing down in verse two, right? That Christians are to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. We even read in 3.8, right? These things are good and profitable to men. Paul is then comparing bondservants in a family to your everyday member in the church. And he's not saying this is the task of laymen in the church. In fact, at the very beginning of this book, if you turn back to Titus chapter 1, verse 1, he identifies himself as Paul, a bondservant or slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the, the acknowledgement of truth which accords with Godliness. Paul says that because I acknowledge the truth which leads to godliness and because I have the faith of God's elect, therefore I am a slave. And if Paul is in that position, certainly you and I have been taken from a place of being enslaved to various lusts and pleasures to a place where we need to be bond servants or slaves to the righteousness of God, doing all good works that we might be profitable to others. And if we're not doing this, then then we're not really engaged in the word that we ought to be. We sang this earlier in Psalm 19, and this is in your outline as well. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Right? Every part of God's word ought to be transforming our being, preparing us for service, preparing us with head, heart, and hands that are willing to serve and to love. And that transformation is then displayed on outreach to others. I was just uh, reading a book by uh, an evangelist uh, down in Australia, and he remarked that when we, we spend our time living with those who don't know God and living this out that our head, our heart, and our hands are all in service. Uh, he said that his wife came across somebody in the mall one day who uh, apparently was a recent immigrant uh, and didn't speak much of Australian English. I suppose I don't either. <laughs> uh, that he, she walk, his wife walked up to this woman and said, you know, how can I help you? And helped resolve her problem and reunite her with her husband. And then they invited them to the church's play group. And then they invited them to the Wednesday night Study And then they invited them to church on Sunday morning and the husband walked into the church and said, whatever these people believe, we have to believe the same thing. Because they saw it acted out. They knew God in their heads, they loved God in their hearts and they were serving others good and profitable to men. So it's not just a matter of head or heart or hands, but of being cleansed in our heads by God to know him, being cleansed in our hearts to love him, and being cleansed in our hands to act on the commands of God, our Savior. And this is how the kingdom grows. We acknowledge this in Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what being a good citizen, both on earth and in heaven, looks like. And that's Paul's command to Titus to you, and to me. We are to be good and excellent and profitable to the church, to the home, and to society because all of those things are good and excellent and profitable in service of the Lord who is building his church with people like us and anyone else he will cleanse. Anyone who walks through those doors is a ready and able participant in this cleansing of the Holy Spirit this washing of regeneration and renewal that happens to us, not because of our works, not because of our righteousness, but according to his mercy, he has cleansed you. So church, let your whole life be governed rightly in the service of your Savior. Let us pray. Our God, what a gracious reminder it is that such too were we, foolish in mind, disobedient in hand, and enslaved to various pleasures and passions in our hearts. And we thank you that we have been washed, renewed, regenerated by the Holy Spirit so that we can become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, which is not based in us, but based in the work and the fruit that you are bearing out in us as you change every part of our being. So we pray that as we go forth this week, Lord, that you would transform us more and more and more and more, in every part of our being, according to the image of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. And now if you'll turn with me in your blue psalter to Psalm 27, Selection D. Psalm 27, Selection D. O Lord, teach me to follow you. Instruct me in your way and lead me on a level path because of foes, I pray. And in the final stanza here, with patience, wait upon the Lord. Oh, let your strength be great, and so let courage fill your heart, as on the Lord you wait. We see that we do have to follow and walk according to God's commands, and in that, see that we are heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So let's stand and sing Psalm 27D.